I would like to wish everyone a happy new year. 2020 was very interesting to say the least. I appreciate everyone who has listened to and subscribed to Altar N. And I know I plan to put out new episodes more frequently and truly love the support I've received so far. Wishing everyone a healthy and belated 2021. Let's continue to shake things up. Everything surrounding COVID, this pandemic, has really put nursing as a career on the map. It's not that people weren't aware of what it is we do, but they're more plugged in and mindful of our roles, our social value, our essential title. In all my years of nursing, if and when walking outside in scrubs, I've never had so many strangers stop and thank me for what I do for what we do. Media headlines read frontline superheroes. It was nice. Some nurses, and I don't consider myself in that group, are superheroes and truly deserve an applause. Now think for a moment. By shared weight in numbers and given our role in the healthcare system, we are truly essential, which means a lot. In essence, we have leverage and should have the ability to act or influence decisions to obtain a desired effect. A famous quote from Archimedes says, Give me a lever long enough and a place to stand, and I shall move the world. He's referring to how leverage works. You would think then that many decisions, policies, and change for nurses would stem from nurses. And a few are. But ask your fellow nurse if that's how they feel. Do you feel that way? Do you feel like your opinions, your colleagues' opinions, and I'm referring to the truly useful ideas, carries the weight it deserves? And I wouldn't say your opinion has no effect, but the impact would seemingly be modest and local, which is fine. Well, maybe. This is The Nurse's Dilemma, The Wall, pardon me, the walls a nurse needs to climb to effectively make change, even if it clearly improves patient safety and outcomes and refines or abandons dated systems and practices, oftentimes demand a nonsensical level of perseverance. So that red tape, the bureaucracy, forms a yellow tape a signal of caution, which is a clear warning for some to turn the other way. It doesn't mean they didn't want change, that shaking things up was all talk. They're simply not willing to go to the moon for it. They're not astronauts. If it takes six months to add a criteria which is unmistakably missing from a drop-down tab on your assessment form, that is a failed system which needs to be repaired or replaced. So why isn't change, particularly novel ideas rooted from nurses, 
easily supported and adopted, while ideas and policies coming from the top down appear to be streamlined? Well, it's a cultural thing that many accept as being an is-what-it-is circumstance. But to call it that gives the impression that there's nothing more to say or do concerning that matter. But culture shifts with time and people. However, in large healthcare facilities, turnover is relatively slow, especially at that mid to upper management level. They may leave and come back or change titles and departments, but the culture never truly shifts with time. So old customs live for a long time and it protects them and it puts their names on projects that require their signature. And if you're someone coming up, you feel obligated to accommodate and to do as little as possible to rock the boat. And the cycle continues. That mid to upper level management we're discussing, they played that game and they're done. They play a different game now and they're haunted by the traditions they've endured, the hoops they had to and may still have to jump through. Like new parents are haunted by the rules of their parents. You told yourself you would never do that, but you find yourself doing it. I catch myself doing it when I precept. So, how do you change the culture? It's clear you either have to change the players or change the players' minds. Think about it on a lower level. The culture on a unit shifts when senior staff slowly or abruptly thins. The building remains the same. The rules remain the same. The culture is different, for better or worse. That same wave would have to occur with the higher-ups. And yes, a new stakeholder, someone with status, adamant about reshaping things can very well shake things up. But the current ones can too, if that's what they want. If that's what a few of them firmly decide to push for. So, how do you get them to push for it? And by them, I'm mainly referring to the gatekeepers the movers and shakers that are either haunted or blindly resistant to novelty and change. Well, you may have to go to the moon. I know you're not an astronaut. However, your hospital or institution and its culture wasn't built in a day. Are you ready for that? Not everyone's ready for that. Ten, nine. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Back to leverage. Can nurses leverage their weight in numbers to effectively change culture? Yes. And that would take a certain type of leader and or movement with broad participation. So, while doable... If you're not that leader, or if that egregious event doesn't transpire, sparking a movement, it would be ambitious to reshape culture by that design. Yet, I also think that would be the quickest way to briefly excite change. That is, until they hire the travelers. 
before attempting to leverage anything, it would make sense to establish an attractive character, preferably a genuine one, because people are oddly consistent and will show themselves. So it's what you do, not what you say you do, and people will pick up on that. Attractive characteristics include being one, knowledgeable, two, professional, three, hardworking, with four and five being empathy and integrity. With respect to knowledge, you don't have to know everything, but being known as that resource person with something specific or general speaks volumes. And the more knowledgeable you are, the better you're able to spot holes and patch them. With respect to hard workers, they create this motion where things are stirred up and opportunities find them. They're in the mix and people taste it. They notice it. So you and your energy may be an ingredient when ideas for whatever are being cooked up. And this is a good time to mention that leverage does not equate to being paid more. For example, leverage with respect to being a hard worker means being noticed. In large organizations, your energy or hard work will unfortunately always be average. So everyone with the same years of experience will be paid on average the same. Instead, it's the opportunities or little perks that come with being noticed that provides value, which can potentially lead to something greater. As to professionalism, it's straightforward. It means to show up. When you sit down at a restaurant, it's hard to swallow tasteless food and an excuse delivered from the waiter suggesting the chef is having a bad day. So it's doing what is expected, in the chef's case, providing delicious food consistently and to a high degree. Empathy, it speaks for itself, and integrity follows you. As you climb, everyone's connected, so you're likely to cross those you've crossed. So, to avoid having to deal with past grievances by either avoiding eye contact or fake complimenting them on a shirt you really don't like, it's probably your best bet to be consistently cordial to everyone. And there's nothing cutting edge about the five attractive qualities I mentioned. And I feel that having any three of the five already gives you leverage. So no, you don't have to be the most knowledgeable nurse to be attractive. Just like not having to be all that empathetic to climb in rank. So, what else can be leveraged? Degrees and certifications. Whether related to or outside the field of nursing, the additional knowledge base allows you to skill stack. It also signals you put in both time and effort and have a foundation you can build on. Also, it looks good. People are impressed by it. However, two things, and I am pro-advanced education, so definitely pursue them. With an advanced degree, you get inducted into a guild, which helps you network, but also causes you to groupthink. So just be mindful of it. Then, there's this apparent flow with non-degree certifications, and it's that most people don't remember what they learn, unless, of course, their area of practice requires that skill set or knowledge base. And many only learn what was necessary to pass the exam. So you run into what I call this CCRN paradox, 
where those interested in pursuing anesthesia game the system and take the exam having little to no experience in critical care. And because the certification is so recognized, people who have no intention on pursuing anesthesia or working in critical care also game the system, thinking it would provide leverage. And finally, you have those who took the time to truly grasp and understand the material or have been doing it so long that they already know the fundamentals. So you have this broad spectrum of people who have their CCRN. What does it all mean? I could be wrong, but it must have an effect on how it's perceived, or it will eventually. I plan to take the CCRN. I'm no longer in the ICU. I should have taken it then. I should really learn as much as I can in the area I'm in and become certified there. I have no intention of going back to the unit. So why am I even considering it? I think we know why. If critical care isn't your thing and you want to differentiate yourself, you may want to pursue something a little more obscure than a CCRN, maybe hospice or stroke certifications. If you plan to pursue anesthesia, you may want to look into the CMC, cardiac medicine certification. For non-practitioners, sitting for the CMC requires you have your CCRN, so that's a check for anesthesia school and would certainly set you apart from the herd. But let's be real, most people won't do that. And why would they? I think we know why. Let's shake things up. Lastly, fundamentals and specific knowledge in any domain has the potential to provide leverage. An exceptional writer, speaker, or computer programmer with a nursing degree has boundless opportunities. Why? Because they would have untold opportunities minus the nursing degree. But with nursing, they're able to niche down to step up. Well, maybe until AI can do it as good. I have a colleague who was introduced to the stock market when he was a year old. Now, I'm not sure how old he was when he started to take it serious, but for argument's sake, let's say between the ages of 14 and 21. What he has now, and we're pretty much the same age, is compounded experience and specific knowledge in a domain. The mistakes you're about to make on Robinhood he's likely made them three, four, five times already. That specific knowledge, his experience and judgment can't be taught. And while the example I gave happens to be in investing, it can be in any domain you're specialized in. What area are you specialized in? Then you have to share it. Keeping it to yourself benefits no one. It's your way of hiding. Don't hide. 
A round of applause to the astronauts going to space and managers trying to break ancient practices and funnels. Let's leverage, let's share, let's shake things up.